Folks, and welcome to episode 3155 of the Survival Podcast. We've got a weekend behind us. Jumping off on a Monday into a topic like this might be a little bit ambitious. But I have a question for you today. Is it time for an actual insurrection? And the Karens and the Blue Hairs and everybody else out there in the uh, in the world of, not, uh, of make-believe are probably losing their mind just from the graphic on this episode if they happen to come by it. So make sure you share it on social media and whatnot so that they can really lose their mind and tell you what a uh, ultra-maga right-wing extremist Jack Spierko is without knowing who Jack Spierko is or what the hell we're going to talk about today. <clears throat> now, of course, this is by design that the word insurrection itself conjures up a date in your mind now, January 6th, right? January 6th. We should be talking about 1775 in Lexington Green if we want to be honest about the term insurrection in America, but uh, we don't want to do that because that, you know, paints history in an actual truthful light and, you know, maybe it's beneficial and we can't have that. But the media and the government has made a moderate riot of a insignificant period of time in our nation's capital into insurrection in the mind of people. This is asinine, of course, and it's not what we're talking about today, but we have to lead off there because they've made it this way, right? So they've made this out like it's worse than Pearl Harbor Day and 9-11 put together. I mean, literally some of them said this. It's nothing like an insurrection. And there's two types of insurrections. There's insurrections that are violent and there's insurrections that are nonviolent. Unfortunately for the blue hairs and the Karens and the media nut jobs and whatever today, we're talking about the other kind, the one they don't want to talk about, the nonviolent forms of insurrection. Insurrection has been made into a, a really bad word. You know, it's like it's uh, being a traitor or something like that. Um, we're going to talk about how insurrection is really about wresting power from those who control others. There's revolution and there's insurrection. These are my definitions and what I mean when I talk about them. Nobody else's. To me, a revolution is where a bunch of people get together and you fight, violent or nonviolent, to wrest power from one group of people and put it into another group of people. And the people doing the fighting are not the ones that end up in control. So you could say that we have a peaceful revolution every two years in the United States and a, a peaceful major revolution every four years with a presidential election in our electoral process. Do we have the opportunity to go out and make our case and then go vote and then put our people in charge? You see, the flaw with revolution, be it violent or peaceful, all it does is change the people in power. And, and what I said this morning on social media is here's an idea. Instead of destroying the one ring that was forged by Sauron, one ring to bind them all, one rule to, re to, to rule them all, instead of getting rid of the ring, let's vote on it every couple of years and call it democracy. That's, that's, that's that type of a, and a revolution, no matter 
how you fight it is as peacefully or as violently as possible. All you're doing is switching the people that are in control. To me, an insurrection is when we say, yeah, I don't think so. I'm in charge of me. An, insur an act of insurrection is declaring self-ownership. That's it. That's not what it means in legal code where they try to throw people in prison. But it's what it really means. I do not recognize your authority over me. That's what we're going to talk about today. That's what we're going to talk about today. And before I go on, I want to remind you guys that I will never ask you for any personal information whatsoever in comments or uh, back, backside secret chats or anything like that. I don't do that. If you get a message from somebody on Instagram claiming to be me on my backup account, it's a lie. I've reported it. If you see something in the comments below in the videos on YouTube and has my logo, it's not me. If it says to contact me on WhatsApp, I don't even have a WhatsApp account. It's all bullshit. Don't believe it. Don't buy into it. Protect yourself online, not just with me, but with anybody that has any notoriety. This stuff happens all the time. All right. So today we're going to talk about this concept of insurrection. Before we do, I want to recognize our sponsor of the day, though, John Bush. John has it with uh, Live Free Academy. John has a virtual online summit coming up. It will be on Saturday, this coming Saturday, the 3rd of September. And since John put together such a great video on it, what I think I'll do is have John explain it to you. Hey, it's John. And Rebecca, we are so excited to tell you about the Homesteading on a Budget Workshop. That's right. There's all sorts of inflation, supply chain problems, economic disruption, and we think it's absolutely important that people become very conscious of how they spend, how they prep, and how they live their lives. Absolutely. So we'll be rolling through all sorts of topics, food production, shelter, doing more with less. That's We're right. We're bringing in industry experts to help shed some light on these different topics. Yeah, Rebecca and I moved on to a 10-acre homestead about a year ago, and when we first met four or five years ago, we both had the same dream of owning property, building an intentional community, and we knew in order to accomplish that dream, we had to make some sacrifices. So what did we do? We ended up moving into a 400 square foot tiny home with four people. We lived in there full time for over a year. I was there, well, almost two years, really. Um, so working in the tiny home industry, embracing the minimalist lifestyle, also that we could save up a down payment for this beautiful 10-acre homestead. So in the workshop, we want to teach you some of the secrets that we learned on how to stretch your dollar, how to do more with less. We're going to talk about strategic grocery runs. We're going to talk about some of the food preparedness items that we like to buy in bulk. We're going to talk about about how to beat inflation by stocking up and buying in bulk in the present moment. And then even if you don't need it for prepping, you could just mix it into your, your food for the week. Uh, we're going to talk about food production. We're going to talk about how to grow food. Even if you live in an apartment, your back porch, whatever it may be, you want to tell about our special guest? Yeah, we actually are really honored to invite Nomad Brad to speak about living tiny, doing more with less, and also Marjorie Wildcraft uh, from the Grow Network. Yeah, there's Nomad Brad right there actually say hi nomad brad hey. nomad brad is the first community member we now have a second community member but he lived he converted a u-haul box van into this awesome little nice luxurious cruiser that he cruises around he's a nomad I've seen on tiny home tours and he's a living testament he actually lives here free of charge he provides so much value he's such a good guy we're about to go to the beach he's going to take care of the house take care of the pets and so he is an example of how he lives big on very little so he's going to teach you some of the secrets that he used as a nomad of course marjorie wildcraft is an 
expert in food production. She's going to teach us, yeah, all sorts of high, plentiful, bountiful ways to grow food. So we're going to teach you that much more. We're going to talk about budgeting. We're going to talk about cutting unwanted expenses. And really, it's all going to culminate in this idea that we can put forward a vision for how we want to live our lives. And if we're conscious about our life design, we can take practical steps in the present moment so as to create a better future for ourselves, our family, and the future generations to come. So, amen. Amen. All right. So we hope you'll check us out at the Exit and Build Homestead on a Budget Workshop. Click the button and register today. See you there. So, guys, um, there is a link in the video notes below where you can learn more about that. Again, it is Saturday, so TikTok, TikTok, time is running out for your opportunity to uh, attend that summit live. Again, it's Saturday this coming weekend. And then I got one more thing for you real quick before we jump into talking about real insurrection. Um, we've been talking about this all month long, and it is here. TSPSwag.com is here where you can get all this cool stuff like the uh, like the hat I'm wearing right here, right, guys? You can get your own uh, version of it and uh, check out some of the stuff that we have. It's it's really top-quality gear. Uh, we are doing print-on-demand, so I would say it's maybe a little bit of a premium over what you might pay for a T-shirt in uh, some situations where they're doing kind of a, you know, a massive stock or something like that. But this gives us flexibility where we were able to roll out with all of these different designs, including, yeah, check this out. Remember when I had Billy Bond on and we were talking about how to get uh, restaurant, restaurant and school waste streams and looking professional? Yeah, we made this just as kind of a joke, but actually a practical thing. Uh, carbon capture composting, so you can look official. We have that in a uh, we have that in a T, and we have that in a polo. We also have all cool gear. Uh, with different uh, versions of the TSP logo on it, large and small, depending on what your preference is. I kind of like shirts that are more over the pocket uh, most of the time uh, than large print front, large print front, but many people like that. So we have all those different ones. And then we have some awesome mugs and tumblers. I've been waiting on this myself so I can actually order some of my own gear, and I'm going to be ordering some. These are large uh, ceramic coffee mugs. These are 15 ounces. The tumblers have been a lot of interest in those. And, yes, if you are an MSB member, you will get a discount because I know it's coming. What about an MSB discount? What about an MSB? Yes, it's there. It's already there. Just go log into your MSB account, and you'll get the discount code. And do that before, not after you join. And check the quality out. I mean, this stuff is high-quality gear, guys. That's not just like some printed-on thing. That's embroidered on the hat right there. Anyway, let's get this thing going. And, again, we're talking about insurrection today. Real insurrection. And I want to divide both revolution and insurrection into two forms. There's violent and nonviolent forms of revolution. Violent and nonviolent forms of insurrection. And as voluntarists who have been much maligned by the state, law enforcement, etc., we're literally the most peaceful. We are the most peaceful movement in the world. Our entire ethos is based on the non-aggression principle. You can't be a more peaceful movement than a movement that's guided by the principle of non-aggression, meaning the only time that force is to be used is if force is, is used against you and is to be used in defense of yourself or others. That is the only acceptable use of force, that others are not to be coerced. They are not to be intimidated. Like, that, all of it's wrong, and yet we're... we're attacked as being violent and dangerous and extreme, as though it's an extreme idea 
that you should run your own life and I should run my own life. And we should basically leave each other alone unless we want to work together and cooperate. That's extremism. So much so that the FBI recently, I don't know if you saw this, it was about three or four weeks ago, they put out a list of symbology. Symbology. And this symbology was things that were the trademarks of groups that endorsed violence. And it literally was mostly the symbology of voluntarism and anarchism. So there were things like the Gadsden flag, which is a ver- version thereof that hangs on my wall behind me. Don't tread on me. You know, the, the rattlesnake is, is really one of the most peaceful creatures on the planet. No rattlesnake ever crawled into anybody's house and attacked them. Rattlesnakes only defend themselves. That's why they were chosen. Very dangerous, but only if you, if you bother them. If you leave them alone, they leave you alone. The fire ant should be a great symbol of anarchy, anarchism, and voluntarism. Fire ants, they grow, they build their stuff wherever they want to be. They leave you alone, though. Fire ants do not come after you. But if you go into their nest, they jack you up. But they put these things out. And one of the things I found really interesting, one of the symbols on their FBI, ATF, whatever report that said, we are the evil, you know, violent, you know, we cannot be trusted. And you, you got to be warned that these people are dangerous if you see these symbols. One was this symbol right here, very famous in Texas, the cannon, the star, and come and take it. Do you know where I got this? This is a license plate. It says Texas on it. It says come and take it on the bottom. has the evil symbol of the cannon and the flag also with the words come and take it in the star. The symbol of hatred and violence and ultra mago right wing whatever the hell they came up with. Do you know where do you think I got it given that it says right across the top of it Texas and it's a license plate. Where do you think this came from? It's the plate that's on my Challenger. I drive around with this plate on my Challenger. Yeah, somebody says the DMV. We don't call it the DMV here but yeah, that's where it's from. It's from the official state of Texas website. The state of Texas apparently sold me a symbol of violence and hatred. And it turns out that, like, there's, like, 30 other states that sell license plates that are similar, the Gadsden flag, etc. But so you see that you're in a no-win situation with making a case to these people who have decided that you're the enemy, including, apparently, federal law enforcement agencies. And what that means is we must, even though our ideology already requires it, we must cast aside the use of any and anything that appears to be offensive violence, period. Even though we wouldn't do it anyway, you need to be doubly overt with the fact that you have no intention to use it. And it fits right in with what I've taught forever on the Survival Podcast. I looked it up and it was late 2008. So it was the first year I was doing the show. And I said the following. Change through the ballot box is a fool's errand, and change through the rifle is a death sentence. That you're not going to change things by voting change in. Oligarchies, technocracies, etc., they don't go away because you voted in a different person. This idea that we can change the politicians and change the nature of the state is like thinking the next row of teeth that come in will change the nature of shark. The teeth are not the shark. 
They're just the enforcement arm of the shark. They're the terminal tackle of the shark. All of your elected officials, that's all they are. They are the teeth of the shark. The state is the problem. So we can't do that. But I also said the rifle is a death sentence. Now, you guys know me. I'm as pro-right to keep and bear arms. I am as pro-right to defense. I am as pro-gun as you can get. If people were like, you think the people should be able to be like in the old days, order guns from the Sears catalog. I'd be like, yes. Yes. In fact, if they were machine guns, I'm okay with that. I think every single person has a right to self-defense. But I also don't think that it's a, it's a valid method of, of, of fighting for freedom today. And we're going to arm up and go take it back. That's insanity. And this is why the state excels at violence. The state is violence. The state is violence. Without violence, the state is nothing. Think about it that way. If you took away the phony legitimacy of the state's ability to do violence on its own citizens, what could the state do to anybody? I mean, really think about it. So think of anything the state says you're not supposed to do, that you want to do, that has no victim. You don't harm anybody by doing it. And then ask yourself, if the state didn't have the ability to send with men with guns to either extract your property from you or lock you up for not complying, what could the state do? And the answer is absolutely nothing. Without violence, the state is impotent. So what is its only and main strength? Violence. Violence. Number two would be its ability to execute propaganda effectively. We don't need to worry about that at this moment. We could actually fight propaganda with propaganda. Propaganda itself is not a bad word. We just tend to not understand it. But what do we learn in the art of war, war class? We never fight the enemy by his chosen method, at his chosen time, at his chosen location. We don't do that. And we certainly don't fight the enemy where he's strongest. You fight your enemy at a time of your choosing, a place of your choosing, and where he is weakest. So where is your enemy weakest? Your enemy is weakest in the world of voluntarism. If you look at, and I know some of you don't like Bitcoin, but you, you have to take it as a thought experiment today, even if you normally don't like it. You have the United States dollar enforced through force of the state by fiat. This is our currency. It shall be used and, and companies and entities shall accept it. You can't go into a restaurant, order food, and then try to pay with U.S. dollars in America and then have the restaurant owner go, sorry, we don't take dollars. When you pay your taxes, you will pay them in their own money. If they command a fee of you, you will pay them in their own money. And what you have is the, the private banking cartel known as the Federal Reserve using a state-enforced mandate to have a monopoly on money printing. And so I want you to think about what if we had tried to implement any form of monetary equivalence, whether it was a cryptocurrency, a gold-backed currency, something else, and we said, we are going to force it. We are going to say, no, the dollar's not real, this thing's real, and we're going to force people 
to accept it. We're going to force people to use it. We're going to force people to adopt it. What would have happened? Everybody involved would have been arrested and thrown in federal prison, and it would have failed miserably. Instead, what was done in in, in the world of Bitcoin? Code was written. A case was made. The guy that invented it left. You can't be more passive than see ya, goodbye. Here it is. Do something with it or don't. And it grows into a trillion dollar industry. Major corporations and brands accept it. People do business with it, using it now for everything from tipping a podcaster a dime for a podcast to buying cars and boats and houses. And how did it succeed? It it succeeded by going exactly counter to what the state does. Remember I did a show last week that basically do the opposite? Everything they do, the solution is the opposite. Fiat currency by mandate and use of force is the problem. So hard currency with no rules that is completely 100% voluntary. Nobody is forced in any way to use, take, accept, mine, verify, participate in the world of It's a 100% voluntary system. Don't tell me it didn't win, right? Don't tell me it didn't win because I'm not talking about winning B. We, we, we took over and we eradicated them. I'm talking about winning B. Here it is. They don't like it and there's not shit they can do about it. And here it is. It's growing and becoming stronger and more prevalent and larger every day to the point where they're using our system to move their archaic fiat money on with, with the lightning network and things like strike. And it's there and it won't go away. If we had done it with force, now again, if you don't like cryptocurrency, I don't care. Good citizen saying, I like Monero, whatever. There is no crypto that has the footprint, the reach, the breadth, and the absolute decentralization that Bitcoin does. And has people all over the world working on making it better every day, and you can't get rid of it. It won because it's here and it's here to stay. And I think if we if we stop being purists, and we started applying that to other parts of our lives, we'd all agree, I don't need to get rid of industrial ag for regenerative ag to win. If regenerative ag can exist without being attacked from all sides, if we can make it resilient and non-brittle to the point where it's growing every day, it's one. It's one because the people that want to be part of it get to be part of it. And that's, in this world of insurrection, that's something you have to get your head around. If you can't get your head around that, then it's very hard to accept that you can win. And it's very hard to find the solution to winning. The solution to winning is to build a thing that can be voluntarily be participated in to the point where it's large enough and significant enough to matter and large enough and has enough reach that people who want to participate can. This is why Bitcoin's successful, by that definition, because there is no one out there who can't successfully use Bitcoin if they choose to. You might have to do a few things, but you can't, and no one can stop you. No one can stop you. Countries that have actually made it illegal 
still have people mining it, spending it, using it. You can't, it's, it's, it's harder to stop than street drugs. Which I don't know if like, I'm, I'm a kid from the 70s and 80s. I remember the war on drugs. It didn't work out really well. You're gonna, sh- you can't shut down meth being made in a Gatorade bottle with a battery. That even if you're gonna take meth, you really shouldn't take that meth. But you're gonna shut down peer-to-peer electronic transactions. Okay, good luck. So how can we, how can we bring this to all these other places in our lives where we want to live differently and render them obsolete? Well, first, I think you have to understand what the mechanisms of control are. Mechanisms of control. If you don't understand the mechanisms by which you're controlled, then you cannot be free because they'll still manipulate them. They'll still be controlling you. And no more, no one's more falsely, no more, no one is more enslaved than those who falsely believe themselves to be free, right? So here's your four pillars. And it's not the only mechanisms to control, but these are the four big ones. Number one. Fear and anger. Fear and anger lead to the dark side. There's a reason that's in there. We just saw this last week, and I'm still seeing everybody losing their shit about it with the student loan forgiveness. You know, I I saw a meme today. It's a guy holding up a blank piece of paper that said, reasons I should pay your bill for you. As though you're actually paying some dweeb's bill who has a degree in bitterness studies. As though you're actually paying for it. They've convinced you that all of this fake money that they constantly print at will, that you're actually paying the bill. You're not. You're not. And if they stop spending all the money, you're going to pay just as much in your tribute to upgrade, the giant pimp known as the state. They're going to take just as much money from you. It's not going to change anything. They're at a point now where the the economic system that is the the existing version of the dollar is in terminal decline. I don't care what they do, but that's just one example. Fear and anger. Look what they did during the COVIDs. They had people terrified of each other. They They had people walking around wearing a useless cloth mask that were terrified of the people that weren't. But what was even worse is the people that weren't had an actual desire to go up to the person with the mask on and just punch him in the face for their stupidity. Fear and anger. make That's why it was the greatest mechanism of control in the history of the state, because it caused people to actually fear each other from something invisible that you couldn't quantify. Fear. The ultra-maga. The ultra-maga. So you take the libtards and you make them terrified of the ultra-maga. And then you you terrify the right by pointing out, in reality, what the left is doing to the school system and our children. But you got to make people afraid of each other. They have to be angry and afraid. And so every time you fear anger, you feel anger and fear. You have to first of all step back and go, is this really worth being afraid of? If you're afraid that something really bad's going to happen because Brandon just wrote an open check to pay other people's college bills, your fear is, is, is ridiculous. It's re- your life's not going to change because of that. All the bad shit that's going to come from economics of the state, take it away. It's still happening. Well, it will happen faster. Okay, whatever. Then go ahead. You're controlled by fear and anger. The big thing with anger is one, does this directly affect me? But two, what can be done about it? 
So we have to take the approach that every time we have fear and anger from anything that comes in from outside our direct area of control, there either is or something we can do about it. There's an action we can or cannot take to change it or mitigate it. And we do that and then we just go on. Anything else is wasted life force. No matter how much you want to believe otherwise, guys, it's wasted life force. Every day you get that little glowing marble out of a jar. That's one day worth of life force. Every day you have to get one out. Whether you know it or not, it's a metaphor, but yeah, you do. There's a giant jar in your corner. It gets lower on life force every day. Anything outside of that, you just wasted your day's life force. Number two, that other people in of themselves are scary. Other people. These people over here. These are the real ISIS, ISIL, ISIS, ISIS, mega ISIS. Mega ice tea ISIS. The gangster ISIS, the ISIL ISIS gangsters, they're coming to get you. I remember when that was all going on and there were literally people that acted like there was an ISIS agent in their closet waiting to kill them when they went to bed at night. I had people write in and say, I talked to my mom about this and she's terrified. And they, they said, they, they said to her, well, how do you think they're going to get you? And she said, she didn't know, but they might. You sit around worrying about other people, other groups, other countries. They're going to come get you. <laughs> Stop children. What's that sound? Everybody look what's going down, right? There's a man with a gun over there. Telling me I've got to beware. They control you by making you think that other groups are scary. And I don't care what group it is. I don't care if it's transgender, pansexual Asians that identify as octopuses. Or it's ultra mega super patriot warrior lords. We just have to make sure that you know. Did everybody that's not in your group scary? Let me explain it again. Everybody not in your group. If you are a if you are a dyed in the wool Democrat and you're believing what the progressive party of the DNC tells you, which is not progressive or liberal, by the way, anybody that's not in your tight little box is scary. Same for you. I'm a small government Republican that wants a giant government. Yeah, anybody not in your little box is scary. Anybody in another country is scary. Everybody in every other group is scary. This is the main mechanisms of control. Three, you need us. That's the state's primary message and one of its four pillars of control. You need us. Which you can sum up in is... What about my roads? Who would build the roads? Who would build the schools? Warlords would take over as warlords already run your life. There would be gangs and the mafia, and they would come take money from you against your will and take your property against your will. Like, we don't have that already. Without us, it's not that we, and they'll even admit it in the end. It's not that we're perfect, you see. It's not that there's not some abuses and some bad apples, right? That's another bullshit term. It's that if it wasn't for us, things would be worse. The government breaks your legs, 
gives you a wheelchair and says, aren't you lucky you can get around? What would you do without us? But you need us. And what is the primary way they leverage the fact that you need us? Scary people. Without us, the scary people would come get you. Never, never for a moment do we pause and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. There are some people in the world that literally hate us because we're Americans. There are some people pretty pissed off at America out there. And I don't just mean chanting here and there. Like, there are some people that literally want to do us harm. Why? Why? They hate us for our freedom! Really? Really, some dude having, you know, marital relations with a goat in a cave is sitting around going, you know what, my life would be better if those bastards over there didn't have their freedom. I'll risk my life and everything I have to harm somebody halfway around the world because they're too free. Sure, that makes sense. But you need us. Without us, they'll come get you. Without us, you won't have any roads. Without us, you won't have any... You'll have buildings, but they'll all fall on top of you. You'll have health care, but you'll have to pay for it yourself. Those scary people. The otherwise, the, the otherwise homed, because you can't say homeless anymore. Apparently, that's politically triggering. But you don't think they're still using that group of people that they claim to care about and saying, you know, they would all come to your neighborhood and steal all your stuff. As though you have no means of, like, defending your own property or anything. You need us. And the last one, and this is hard for you to believe, but this is one of the most used tools. It might be the most used tool. Even the, the, the groups that they claim to hate or they claim to be the danger or whatever, there's always, there's always a macho man to the Hogan, right? There's always a rowdy piper to the Mr. T. I don't know who's in wrestling now. I was a kid back there in that time, so I remember that stuff, right? There's always the other side inside the league that is the government. And so what they use to convince you of things is you're right and everybody else is wrong. You're right and everybody else is wrong. And they do this by always presenting one side or the other of the argument to the complete and total aberration of the other side of the argument. This is something you should start doing. Steel man, the side you disagree with. I've talked about this in a lot of ways. I've talked about it as an issues test. I've talked about acting like a journalist. I've gotten very, very deep into the methodology of doing it and researching it and be, to be able to say, here's an issue and being able to debate either side of the issue from an informed manner. But there's a quick shortcut to it. And that is simply like you take the issue that you've already decided on, and you do something very difficult. You let go of your belief for about 10 seconds. It's not gone. You just let go of it. You entertain the idea of the opposition without necessarily having to believe it. And you say, if I was going to take the other side of this, instead of just going, you're a libtard, you're an ultra wagon, if I was actually going to actually take the other side of this, not using a catchphrase, freedom isn't free, like a moron, right? If I was actually going to take the other side of this in, in three or four sentences, make the strongest case I can against my own position, what would it be? Now, you can do this 
And then you might go, yeah, but that's not true or that's, that's out of context or whatever. But all of a sudden you'll actually have like this, this weird thing, like empathy for the people on the other side of the argument. And if they would do the same thing, they would have this. And then you could have a discussion. And then you might actually see you're not right about everything. I'm not right about everything. Nobody is right about everything. But the danger to the state if that happens is not just us cooperating. It would be, well, then neither are you. You can't just come out with a bunch of mandates and say anybody doesn't do it is wrong because science. And by the way, I am science. I speak on behalf of science. You can't do that anymore. You have to actually allow intellectual debate between competing sides of an argument. But that's the, that's the poor colors. That's the short version, right? Short version. Fear and anger. Other people are scary. You need us. And you are right. And everybody else is wrong. No matter what position you take, you'll have a Hogan or a Macho Man or a Rowdy Piper or a Mr. Tate. WrestleMania, baby. That's fine for entertainment when you're kids. It's not a hell, it's a hell of a shitty way to run a state unless you're the people in power. Because you want all the people to act like a bunch of kids cheering on wrestlers in the 1980s. Then you just got to break down the areas of control. Once you have the areas of control, then you can start resting away control. So there's two types of control. There's immaterial control and there's material control. Let's start with material control because it's the easier one to understand. It's basically your survival needs. Food is a method of material control. How many of you guys in my own audience that were supposed to be preppers that listened to me for over 10 years that when COVID started, you were emailing me and freaking out. You didn't think you had enough food to survive. Because the second you think the food supply is going to be short, you start to worry about where you're going to feed yourself or your kids. And there's parts of the world, guys, where it's not for lack of food, but lack of ability to get food, that people starve to death every day. Food is a huge method of material control, so much so, so that it is the most effective weapon of war. Any any uh, two sides in a conflict, if one side was able to significantly cut off the food supply to the other side, the other side always loses. You always lose if you can cut off the food supply to your enemy, or you always win if you can cut the food supply off to your enemy for long enough. By the end of World War II, German, the German government was putting out information of how to use sawdust to supplement flour to make bread. You're done. Okay, when that happens, you're done. So food is a method of their control. Obviously, if food is, so is water. How long can you live without water? People say two days. It depends. That's a big ass. It depends. If you're in the middle of the Mojave Desert, you're probably not making it two days without water unless you lay completely still in the shade, and then you still might die. Dehydration is a terrible way to go. But if you if you don't have water, you don't have freedom. If you don't have food, you don't have freedom. And so the person that controls it controls you just with those two things. Next is money. Economic controls are the most successful systems of control in the modern world because we've made everything so electronic that you can literally just shut off somebody's bank account. There's somebody in the audience here, I don't know if they want to be named, so I won't name them, but in the live chat here, that owed a particular state, lowercase state, one of the 50 states, money for back taxes. At least the state said he owed them money. I'm not sure he did, but they just seized his bank account and took the money. Like that, boom. So economic controls, 
So you have to have a way to control your wealth, your own economics capacity. Back to Bitcoin. Information. You might think information is immaterial, but no, information is material. If we can take it and print it out in a book, it's material. Information can have a sense of legitimacy because somebody put a seal on it. This this is not really important here. But just a, a seal or a name on it, like a government specified thing. Like, oh, I don't know, a warrant, for instance. can be made up of total bullshit, but as long as a judge signs off on it, it's, hey, I'm sorry, I don't make the laws. I only enforce them. I'm here to take your shit. It's also a means by which we communicate with each other as a, net, a neural networking species. That's what we really are as humans today. A little deeper than I want to go today. But the fact, there is so much that we know today. I don't mean we think. I mean we know. Because that information was put down and recorded 500 years ago, 200 years ago, 300 years ago. And not just historical things. You know, like things like a, a calculus has kind of been around a while. If it had not been controlled, or I'm sorry, if it had not been if it had not been recorded and made available to people, the average person wouldn't have access to it today. You have a massive amount of control over people through the control of information. So we need a way to exchange information, to pass information, to record information, to compile information that is independent of the state. If we want to be actual insurrectionists, these are the things we need to do. Housing. Think about how hard it is to own a home in America today specifically because of the state. For as affordable as, you know, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac has made getting a loan with 3% down. They've made the underlying asset itself completely unapproachable to a huge number of people in this country. By simply by saying something like I told you guys last week, uh Some, a lot of the counties in Texas, new builds cannot be smaller than 2,500 square feet. And I've, I've checked, and some places are as, down to 1,800, and some are as high as 3,000 square feet. Some jurisdictions, not just counties, but cities have gotten in on this as well. You're going to tell a person how big their house has to be. And then there's a million other regulations that go with that. So developing methods by which we can provide our own housing, And basically thumbing the nose up. Here, you know, I pick on the tiny house movement sometimes because, and here's why, guys. When I see somebody like, I wanted to live mortgage-free, so I built this. And it's like, and then like, well, Jamie and her husband put $200,000. Like, what are you talking about, mortgage? You could have bought a house, a, a full house. But what I'll give them credit for is, you know what I'm going to do? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put it on wheels. And now all your bullshit Doesn't apply. And if you say, I can only stay here for this long, I'll move it over here for a while, and I'll move it back. That's status jujitsu. That's one method of housing. Another method is picking places where a lot of these regulations don't apply. Having a large enough swath of land that nobody knows what you're doing. But one way or another, we have to take control of our housing back. Because if we don't, they have another means, another leverage point of control. And some of you are thinking, you're never going to have 100% all on all of this. We'll get there. You're right. So what do you take if you can't have 100% of something? As much as you can get. 50, 60, 70, 85, whatever. And you're always trying to push that number a little higher. 
Next, energy. You don't think energy is a means of control? Check it out. Let's imagine I don't like you. And I, I can make a phone call and say, hey, turn Fitzy's freaking power off. Turn Bonnie Blue 2A's power off. Tur turn off Hanging Laundry's power. Turn off their power. Oh, you know what? Um, you can have power, but not from 2 to 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Oh, you can have power, but we're going to give you a daily limit, and if you go over the limit, then it'll shut off. Oh, you can generate power, but if you generate it in surplus, we take your surplus and we don't compensate you for it. Or we, we, we pay you less for the power that we take from you than you pay for the power that comes back from us. We sell you your own power back later, charge you a battery fee. There's so many ways that energy can be used to control people. Back to warfare. Warfare is a great way to always understand systems of control. If you have a modern nation and you shut down their electrical grid or even major parts of it, For long enough, you'll win the war. You'll win the war. And travel. I'm going to tell you a secret. This outline, most of it came from a show from 2015. Redoing it in 2022, seven years later. Isn't that interesting that I put travel in all the way back then? How much of the travel control did we see on people's lives in the last two and a half, three years? I think that speaks for itself so perfectly. I don't think I need to say much more about it. But you need to create freedom of movement for yourself, whether that's with a Plan B passport, whether that's by existing in an area in the country where even if they say you can't move, you still can. There's nothing they can do about it. I mean, there were all kinds of lockdowns around here, and you know what? Nobody cared. The people that cared stayed home and cried about the people that didn't care. Right in the middle of a lockdown, Right? Yeah, I can't have any kind of major events and all. So we're like, yeah, well, we're having a party with 90 people. And I have right smack dab in the middle of the COVID scam, damn it. I have a picture in my garage of about 80 people drunk off their ass, partying off their ass. We didn't care. So strategic, strategic location geographically is part of this as well. But if you want to control the people, you control their food, their water, their money, their information, their housing, and their travel. And that's every major department of government right there. Every major domestic. Every major domestic department of government right there. Why do you think that's the case? Do you think government's really incompetent? you think it's really stupid? There's lots of stupid, incompetent people in government. That doesn't mean government's stupid and incompetent. The system does what it's designed to do. Game Ogre says, I was there. If I knew who you really were, I would, I would be like, yeah, I remember. I guarantee you, I remember that one. It was a great one. Um, government's actually highly competent. They do things that seem totally erratic, but they make perfect sense. Think about this. ATF. The Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms Organization. What the hell? How does this make it, you think about it on its surface, you're like, this is the dumbest. How do you relate cigarettes to guns? Why should the same organization that goes out, and I just saw this on Twitter, here's an example of harassment from your government. These ATF agents went to a guy's house, and they're like, you know what, uh, we have on our records that you bought a thing called a solvent trap. This is basically for cleaning things. But they have a certain thread pattern 
that you could do something like, you know, screw it onto a, a rifle barrel and attach an oil filter to the other side and make a improvised suppressor. So apparently Brandon has made these things illegal with policy, which makes no sense. So they've got a list of people that bought these things through certain sources anyway. They go to this guy's house and they're like, well, we want the solvent trap you have. We know what you're doing with it. Right? And the guy's like, do you have a warrant? And they're like, no, he's like, then you can leave. Well, you know, you can either give it to us. If you, if you got rid of it, you can sign this piece of paper that says you don't have it. He's like, I'm not signing anything. You can leave. And they start threatening this guy and they say, you know, this is going to put you on a radar. Excuse me? Excuse me? It's going to put me on the radar? Like you being here? Like, see, that's, that's using fear and anger and trying to bait the guy. Anyway, Bonnie Blue, thank you for the super chat, 1999 there. Historically, monarchs would burn serfs with higher taxes as a means to put down their ability to revolt. This is what I see happening now with energy pricing, food pricing, medical emergencies, etc. Yeah, if you incapacitate people economically, they have no means by which to revolt against you. All they're trying to do is survive tomorrow. People that are trying to survive tomorrow don't have time to fight for tomorrow. Right? They don't have time to fight for next year. People that are trying to survive until tomorrow, people that are trying to survive till the next payday, they don't have time to plan an insurrection that benefits their grandchildren. So this is what they do. Then there's immaterial control. The areas of immaterial control are interpersonal relationships. And these things all are interconnected. It's like a giant permaculture design scheme. But it's, it's done by the Sith for evil. How does this thing connect to that thing? So think about using fear and anger and other people are scary to damage interpersonal relationships. Again, this is from 2015, this original outline. And look how it played out perfectly in the scamdemic. How many people don't speak to blood relatives today due to one party or the other's vaccination status in both directions? How many people don't speak to blood relatives because one side likes the orange man or one side likes Brandon? If you destroy people through manipulation of interpersonal relationships, you weaken a society tremendously. I grew up in an America that's not that old. It's not that long ago. Some of you young whippersnappers, you think it's older than it is. 1980s is not that long ago. Where the one thing I could say about the country I grew up in, there were some common unifying ideals. That no matter how much you disagreed about something, in the end, we agreed who we were, what we were, and what we stood for. And the words were not symbolic words alone. They actually meant something. But you damage interpersonal relationships, that goes away. How about conflict resolution? When the state is going to act as the mediator, between any and all conflict with the final say through the use of force, what incentive is there for you to talk to your neighbor about the fact that his fence is about to fall over? I'll just call code enforcement. I'll just call code enforcement. Every time I write a legal contract or enter into a legal contract with another group or person or company, I always write a moderation clause in. Now, I'll give you a little secret. I usually try to make them draft the contract. And then I append in the moderation clause. And this is just a strategic thing. 
When you have a contract, you always want the other party to draft the contract. Because any ambiguity in the contract, if the judge looks at it and says, this could go A or B, it benefits the party that didn't draft it. But I always want, in the moderation clause, the the following procedure. First, the two parties will seek non-binding arbitration. Then, binding arbitration if non-binding arbitration fails. And the state will only be used to enforce the binding arbitration that's also private. How many companies, how many people do you think do that? How many problems would it solve? If you and another party in a business agreement first had to go to a professional arbitrator whose decision was non-binding, and that person simply said, I got no dog in the hunt other than to be accurate and fair so that my name's good in the marketplace. There's actually companies that do this, by the way. And they came out and they said, hey, look, uh, I listened to this. My judgment is that if you guys take this further, this is what they're going to say. This is how it's going to be bad for both sides. Here's a really equitable solution that works best case scenario for both parties. It's the cheap solution, because I'm cheap, because this is a quick process. It's not like when we're trying to sue somebody. So my process is cheap, and I've made this as inexpensive as I can for both parties and made it as possible as I can for both parties to go forward with my proposed solution. Think if we did that with divorces. How many divorces does one parent or both try to use the children as weapons against the other parent? Do you think people are really intrinsically that way, or did creating a system that made it possible make that a thing? How many, I picked on the men last week that don't want to get married, right? I picked on those men, the men gal men, men going their own way, right? How many of those young men, to be fair to them, the reason they feel that way is they grew up watching their father be victimized by that system? The answer is a lot of them. The answer is most of them. That's why they're that way. Well, that's because we built a system. We built a system where conflict resolution is monopolized by the state, even when it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be that way. But we don't know any other way. So we need to build our own forms of conflict resolution. The death of real tribalism. We talk about tribalism today like it's a bad thing. It's not. There's another word for tribe. Community. When we had strong communities, the communities made up a strong nation, and that nation was made up of multiple communities or tribes. Where I grew up in small town Pennsylvania, there was a lot of tribalism. There was ethnic tribalism. Now, if you're not from the area and you walked in the area, you'd go, these are all a bunch of white kids. But trust me, the Pollocks knew who the Yukis were. And the Yukis knew who were the Irish war. And it wasn't animosity. There just was a tightness. And it wasn't really the kids themselves that were tight that way. It was the families that were tight. We, I had a lot of women in my life that you would call Chuchi. Like my favorite one was Chuchi Ann. Chuchi is a word that loosely translates as aunt. But it's an aunt that's not an aunt by blood or family. It's an ant by community. It's like an adopted ant. Like your family adopted them in and they became your ant. 
or aunt, depending on how you want to say it. That type of tribalism. Yeah, Ukrainian is Yuki is Ukrainian. Yeah. Yeah. There was, you know, the church picnics. Everybody that was part of that church, or everybody who's in the family of anybody was part of that church, went to these big church picnics and block parties and things like that. We used to have this everywhere in America. We used to have this kind of tribalism. Pride in your school, pride in your neighborhood. Philadelphia used to be made up of, of, of 1,500 neighborhoods. And people would identify with that. And sometimes there was some animosity and some, you know, grievances over it and all. But overall, it was, it, made, it had more strength and weakness to it. And today tribalism's become something that can't be tribalism. When you're creating political tribalism and 80 million people identify as a Democrat and 80 million people identify as a Republican, that's not a tribe. That's a mob. It's too big to be a tribe. Tribes are small. Right? Tribes are small. Tribes are where you know everybody, at least, we used to say, know them to see. We've destroyed this. People don't know if they're, they don't, most people in America, they said, tell me the first name of every adult that lives in every house that touches your property or touches their property. 99% couldn't do it. 99% couldn't do it. If you had said to my grandfather, Tell me, everybody lives on your road, a couple mile long road, RD1, one of the two roads in the whole damn town. He could have started at the bottom of the hill and told you every single person that lived in that house all the way up to the top of that hill. He could have told you their kids. And in most cases, he'd say, well, like, you know, Dronick's kids, they, the, the, the boy, he's in Harrisburg now and he's a lawyer. And the daughter, she married off to somebody that came out of state college, and they're down in Cresona now. And he works for Cresona Aluminum. He could tell you, like, the, the family history of the whole damn road. Most people, you know, the challenge I gave, everybody that touches your land or touches that land, most people couldn't tell you the first name, especially if it's couples, the first name of the two people that live in the house that are left and right if they're in the center, if they're not on a corner. That's when I, when I say the death of real tribalism, that's what I'm talking about. These small, strong communities, like we talked about with the guy from uh, strongtowns.org last week. These thriving, vibrant, tribal in the best way possible. So you need to restore that. We call that community in our world. And uh, the next is imaginary rules. False customs. Perfect example is everybody has to go to college. No, they don't. Why? For what purpose? Does an auto mechanic need to go to college? Let's not even just, I'm not even beating up the university system today. I'm just, just the lie that every child should go to college. Auto mechanics? Is that a bad career? Wish Humble Mechanic was here. He'd be all over this one, right? I mean, an auto mechanic can make a lot of money. What about like a, have you seen the labor rates for a master diesel technician? Is there any need for a master, master diesel technician to go to college? Is there any real need for a farmer to go to college? Do we not need farmers? Not everybody that doesn't go to college ends up being a janitor or scrubbing sewers. But we need people to do that, too. 
These people that, you know, they live their whole life. They work in a, a, an organization where they're basically a customer service representative, eventually end up managing a team. They have good lives to make good money. There's no need to have a college degree to do that job. Plenty of them do. Most of them do now. Oh, Humble's here. Yeah, tee off, brother. You can't make any money as a mechanic, can you? Don't we need people to do all types of professions that do, do not only don't require college? College doesn't make sense for it. You know, there's this stuff called metal. And sometimes we need that metal to stick to other people pieces of metal. This is an intrinsically important part of an industrial society. You need this. Really important. You get paid really, really good. You get paid really, really good to make metal stick to metal if you're good at it. There is no need for a person who wants to be a welder. That's what that's called, sticking pieces of metal together. It's welding. There's no need for that person to go to college. But just think about how many people went to college with no idea what they wanted in the world, but they went because of a marketing message. Now, think of every other place to supplies. Think of people who buy a new car once they get a good job because they think they have to have a new car for the new house that they're moving into so that they can fit in with the people next door to them. Think about how many people complied with all of the BS around the COVIDs, even though they didn't agree because they felt they had to comply because you got to go along to get along. You wanted to make other people comfortable. How much shorter would the period of total control been if everybody who thought it was bullshit just said no? To be blunt, what if everybody had been like me? Yeah, I'm not doing this. I'm not going to get in your face about it. I'm not going to yell at you or whatever. You go in the store, you get all your shit, you get up to the cash register, the lady's like, I'm not checking you out unless you put your mask on. Take the fucking mask out of your pocket, put it in your face, pay the lady as soon as she's done, take it off and walk out. Guy's chasing you. Sir! Sir! You just walk away. Right? How much quicker would have all this went? I think a little bit quicker. But why do people do it? Because they believe the imaginary rules... If there's not a law, if nobody with a gun can come and make you do it, it's not a law and it's not a rule unless you agreed to it as part of an organization. If you're going to bowl, you get two balls per frame and you strike out rules. Right? You agreed to play bowling, okay, those are the rules. If you go make your own freaking game up, the rules are whatever you say they are and everybody is free to choose to be in your game or not in your game. Start living life that way. Because most of the control of society is the monkeys self-policing each other and throwing shit at each other. It's not the actual government that's the problem. It's your neighbor. It's the blue hair that calls the state on you even when you didn't break the law, but she keeps calling until she hits one. we got to fix that. And we fix that by building community and getting the hell away from those people. To move into locations where that person doesn't need to be able to see. Most people don't bitch about something unless they see it. Right? Imaginary rules and then education. Education is the linchpin to all this. Propaganda cannot be effective if you don't educate your society. So here's the problem. We take education just to be a good thing. What if I educate you on how to be a racist? You know, maybe a hundred years ago, I educate you to put a white hood on and go around terrorizing black people and burning crosses in their front yard. I've educated you. It's not good. Today I educate you 
that all white people are bad and the cause of all problems. It's also racism. I've still educated you. But I also have to educate you fundamental basic education. I might give you stupidity with common core math, but I do need to teach you that two and two equals four. So you have enough mathematical reasoning that my propaganda will be effective. The state is not concerned with educating its society so that they can be functional members of society. It wants them to be functional members of their apparatus of control, and they need enough education for the propaganda to be effective. You can't give a society who doesn't have the ability to read written propaganda and have it be effective. You can't give a society that doesn't have a decent vocabulary even audio or video propaganda without it being effective because they have to understand what they're being told. They have to have a certain ability to, to use logic and reason to come to a conclusion, even if it's wrong, so that you can give them two pieces of information that lead them to the conclusion, and then you reinforce the, conclu the conclusion. So education, massive system of control. So you don't want to say you get your kids out of government school, but never stop educating yourself, ever. Learn something new every day. And learn things that conflict with what you believe, and then verify them to be true or untrue, and then adapt and adjust. That's what they don't want. So how do you take it back? First of all, you got to think, I'm taking it all back. Not some, all of it. Now, that doesn't mean 100%. It means I'm going to take in every place some piece of it back on an ongoing basis until I get as much as I can. All of it. Because I don't want to be a partial slave, especially mentally. I live in a society where I'm going to pay taxes. That makes me an economic slave to a degree. Some portion of my labor and my effort and my earnings will be owned by the state. But I'm going to do everything I can to minimize that using their own rules, just the way that they were written to be used. In other words, I'm going to have a good tax, tax attorney and CPA. Right? That's That's what I'm going to do. There. But when it comes to my mental sovereignty, you assholes get none of it. Every time I feel myself going, I wish, no, oh, hold on. Look at my backyard. What can I do out there today? Boy, you know what? I'm still tempted by this at 50 years of age. Guess what my grandson and I are going to talk about today? He's 11. We're going to deprogram him before he's going. We're going to preemptively deprogram this thing that I've detected. In my, it's the only use it has. So we have to take it all back. And that starts out with something that's going to sound very selfish. You've never heard me talk about it before. But, God, we need to teach this. You first. You come first in your choice of how you live. Now, people will say, but, like, Jack, you always say that, like, a marriage is a partnership and, like, you have to be mindful of what your partner wants in your relationship. Yes, you do, but that's your choice. You still don't control your partner. I had somebody ask me today, and maybe I'll go deeper into it, but I'm, a, I'm keto now. My wife isn't. How do I tell her I can't eat things she wants me to eat without hurting her feelings? You can't. You just have to say, I've made a decision to eat this way for my health. And I'm sorry if that upsets you that you made this thing. But I've told you I can't eat that. And I'm not going to. And then you have to be at peace with the fact that they may not be okay with it. They might not want it that way. 
but they're going to have to determine for themselves how they're going to respond to what you've done. They don't have to be mean and hateful about it. You'll be like, I told you I don't want that. Uh, no, thank you. Well, those are words that we need to learn in America today. Instead of being irate and upset and yelling and screaming, just, well, blah, 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 blah. No, thank you. Sorry, no, thank you. No matter how upset the other side is getting, I just, I, I'm not going to do that. Guys, they actually tell you the truth in the movies. It's just up to you to pull out the pieces that are true. The world is a giant monkey shit fight right now. It really is. It's a bunch of monkeys throwing shit at each other, especially in the political space. Now, if you go into a monkey shit fight, you're no matter how many times you hit another monkey with shit, you're going to end up with shit all over you. So what is the 1980s movie that tells us the solution to this? Anybody know? Greetings, Professor Falcon. A strange game. The only winning move is not to play. And yes, Jason, there is a cannon on my license plate. There absolutely is. <laughs> yeah, war games. You can't play this game. So you, you have your own choice, and then you have to withdraw support. And a lot of times people don't realize the act of aggressively opposing a thing actually supports a thing. There are positions, especially the left has right now. And don't worry, the right will be in charge soon, and they will be doing the same thing. But there are positions the left has right now that are so preposterously ridiculous Think about the, the position that a kindergarten teacher should be able to talk to a child about sexuality, period. I don't care if it's gay, bi, whatever the hell words they came up with to describe themselves this week or this month, gender, I don't care. Like, just let it be. Straight kindergarten teacher talking to straight child from straight family about straight sex in kindergarten. This is not okay. And doing it in secret and being able to tell them, don't tell your parents. Now, again, I know I seem old, but I, I'm pretty sure that when I was five or six years old, if I went home and my dad said, what did your teacher talk about you today? Especially if the teacher was a guy. And I said, you know, he talked to me about my sex organs and I was six years old. And he talked to me about sex. And he talked to me about his relationship in, in the in the bed, and he's a little six year old in the bedroom with his his wife, and what they do in bed, and how they feel about it. And then I don't know if I should have told you. Why, I could just hear, I could hear the old man right now. Why not? He told me it was a secret, and I wasn't supposed to tell you. He would have killed him. I'm telling you, the old man would have killed him. He was smart too. He would the guy would have just disappeared. He would have been somewhere in a Jacksonville, Florida swamp with alligators eating him and gone. And most people would have. If not, at least he would have went to prison for it. So how do they make the case 
And these, these wackadoodles actually defend it. They're not all people with 17 color hair and a nose ring that think they're a, a gender new, neutral albino, uh, otter. That's not all these, there's plenty of people that otherwise seem normal that are defending this now. How do you get somebody to defend a position this untenable? You need opposition to it. You need irrational, screaming, shrieking opposition to it. That you can label as January 6th insurrectionist ultra magas. Well, if they're against it, because we have modern tribalism versus real tribalism, I have to be for it. You can't get these people to logically defend this at all. Right? The, the, the position that a male should be able to grow his hair long, have fake boobs infl- implanted or not, shave really well, and identify as a woman and compete in women's sports as a woman, destroying the efforts of women who actually compete in women's sports as women. You couldn't make that case if there wasn't exuberant resistance to it. Now, am I saying you should say nothing? No, 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 no. But when you flip out about it, when you lose your mind about it, you actually strengthen the opposition. I know it seems counterintuitive, but you do. Because then you get all wrapped into this painted picture, this propagandist picture. Well, they're against it. Well, I got it before it. And it'll flip. It'll go the other way. We'll have people talking about how it's gone too far, that people can actually smoke their dope now, and we need to be, you know, gelling potheads for life or something like that in a couple of years. You watch, it'll happen. And people that don't believe it will say it. Because <laughs> ScubaDoo79 says alligators need trans rights too. So you withdraw your support. You withdraw your support. You put yourself first. And remember, taking care of your family is part of putting yourself first. Because that's what you want to do. And then you accept after all of that. Then you accept the required interactive edges. There are places where... Because I want my life to be a little easier, I'm going to deal with the state. Or because I haven't yet gained enough freedom that I'm going to deal with the state. Not everybody's going to live in a, an earth ship in the middle of the Texas desert. Miles from any other human. Where you can literally, you can walk around naked on your roof if you want to. Nobody can do anything about it. Not everybody's going to do that. So you, you do accept the required interactive edges. And this leads us to a reality. Number one, what you're doing is not just about you. It's about your kids, their kids, your great-grandkids, your great-great-grandkids. You've got to be thinking about seven generations out. You will die if you live your life the right way. You will die without seeing the full fruits of what you've done. And thank God. Think of how shitty it would be if you knew on the day you died, the full effect of your efforts had been realized. That when you died, nothing you did whatever matter again throughout the, the, the forward line of history. Most people do. Maybe they don't realize it. Most people die. Their family cries. They inherit their money if they have any. They go out and blow it. In a week, they've adapted to life without that person anymore. They go on and they live as if that person never existed. You failed to plant trees under whose shade you would never sit. 
Imagine if every tree you plant in your life died the day you died. How pointless is your existence? I want to plant trees, real and metaphorical. If that tree drops an acorn, and that acorn grows a tree, and that tree drops an acorn that grows a tree, and that tree drops an acorn that grows a tree, and a thousand years from now, there's a tree somewhere because I planted a tree. I want to do that in the world of nature, and I want to do that in the hearts and minds of people, especially my own, my, my son, my daughter-in-law, my grandchildren, my audience. If I don't do that, I've wasted my life energy and my life force. And I can't possibly be an insurrectionist. If you're an insurrectionist, your actions are so much more powerful than their apparent effect initially. So you accept that. Because that'll give you peace. And people at peace can be effective. If I have you in a constant state of stress and anxiety, you're never going to be effective. I can control you. Because all I have to do is offer you one little soothing element to reduce the stress, and you'll do whatever I want. Just think about it from a, a totally extreme version. I want you to sign a piece of paper that says you're an elephant. It's preposterous. For one reason or another, you won't do it. I put you on a table, slightly inverted, put a towel over your face and start dumping water on your face. You feel like you're going to drown. You feel like you're going to die. Won't take you long. You'll sign that piece of paper that says you're an elephant. I tell you I want you to get a certain shot. You say you don't want to do it. I put you on that table long enough. Unless you really think that shot's going to kill you, you'll make the deal. Or you're a 17-and-a-half-year Army officer. You have two-and-a-half years to go to your retirement. I can control you. Because you're thinking about the now. You're thinking about the now, and I've got you under my control. And I make a deal with you. I'll give you tomorrow in order for you to compromise today. But people that know their tomorrows are secure. People that are thinking about their children's children's children. They don't make deals like that. They don't compromise. They move on with life. They do the best thing with what they have, and they keep working for it that next day. Next, this movement must be leaderless. This has to be a, this insurrection must have no leader. Anything with a leader, the leader is the head. And even the immortals, right? Highlighter, you cut the head off? The immortal dies. So ideas are immortal. Ideas cannot be defeated. Unless the idea is embodied in an individual, terminate the individual, two things happen. You kill the idea or you martyr the individual. Have you noticed they don't tend to kill individuals anymore? Have you noticed that? They don't kill them. Because if you kill them, I'm talking about once they've kind of become the idea. Not that they don't, they, of course they kill people. They kill people all the time. I'm just saying that like when somebody really becomes a leader, 
and they really start to get momentum, and they really start to mount the troops, and they really start to get somewhere, what do they do with them? They throw them in prison. They attack their character. They make them out to be reprehensible. The FBI plants child pornography on their, or attempts to put child pornography on their computer. Largest purveyor of child pornography in the world is the FBI. Prove me wrong. Go ahead. I dare you. They destroy the person without killing them. At least they risk martyrdom. Or they have the person accidentally suicide themselves if they got to die. But they, you know, they don't string a person up anymore. Crucify a person anymore. Far more effective to destroy them. So we know we can't have a CEO. We can't have a president. We can't have a command structure. It has to be a leaderless movement. But yet we need thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of leaders. Every single person in a leaderless movement must be a leader. If you lead no one else, you lead yourself. You have to think with a leader's mentality. One of the things they taught us in the military, when you're in charge, whether you're in charge of a, a platoon, a squad, or two guys for a detail, the people that you are in charge of do not follow you for you to be indecisive and do nothing. When you're at a point where you have to make a decision, for good or bad, you make a call, And you sound like you mean it when you make it. Because if you don't, the pack will turn on you. And somebody worthy of leadership will, will take the role from you. Imagine that we're all together. We're in combat situation. We got a lieutenant. Let's say a captain, because a lieutenant has a stereotype to it. And it's not fair to all lieutenants, guys. Trust me, it's not. There's a captain. Been around a while. He's out in the field for getting shot at with his men. They get in a bad way. They're surrounded. They're faced with either surrendering to an enemy that they really don't want to surrender to or fighting back. And his captain is like, I don't know what we're going to do. Oh, I don't know what we're going to do. What do you think we should do? Some sergeant, some lieutenant is going to be like, sir, you were relieved of your command. And every single person under that person, that leader that acts, is going to go like this. We might get out of this, but even if we don't, we're going to give it our all. Up until that point, everybody's ready to turn on each other. That's the kind of leadership you need in your life, in your family. And that doesn't mean that at times, you, 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 like you're a dictator, you always are the ones to make that decision. But you need to recognize that level of leadership. And people tend to lead in a, in a leaderless environment. People lead when the predisposition for them to lead is there. I've seen it right here. It's just simple things like workshops. You're going to do something, and there's a guy that's done it a 100 times. Well, next thing you know, that guy is teaching 25 people at your workshop how to properly insert a pond liner into a square-shaped pond. Why? Because he knows how. And you know what you do if you're a good leader? When that guy steps up, you get out of the way. And as soon as that guy's done with that thing, he's like, I'm done. I'm tagging out. That was my thing. That's what I knew how to do. We all see this. This is anarchism. This is voluntary self-organization. So we need millions of leaders and no leader. Millions of leaders and no leader. If you want to see 
how much damage can be done by an idea having a leader. Just look at politics. And I don't care if it's Brandon or Orange Man or whoever's next. What do you think they're going to – I'll tell you the truth I think about the rising star in the Republican Party. be nobody's surprised here is DeSantis. They're already maligning him, attacking him, whatever. But what do you, if, if Trump gets out of the election for, for, because he's attacked or because he's, he's charged or whatever, or because he just loses the, and DeSantis becomes obviously the Republican nominee, what do you think they're going to do to him? What do you think they're going to do? This is why political systems are inherently weak. Because they have to have individual cult of personality leaders. We can't have this. Last, what I gave you today, even though we went an hour and 24 minutes already, vastly, vastly, vastly incomplete. This is incomplete. There's a million more pieces to this. You know what that is? It's wonderful, guys. It's wonderful. If I could give you all the answers in 90 minutes, it would be so pathetic that we hadn't already done it that it would just be ridiculous. How many ways are there for us to produce our own protein and share them with our neighbors and friends in a form of commerce? I, I, I have to believe there's more than a thousand. Now, there's not a thousand animal species that are really right for that. At least I don't think there are. I'm not going to be eating a lot of boa constrictors or anything like that. But, uh, the ways by which we can raise animal protein and render the WF irrelevant are as only as limited as our own minds. There's always a way. How many ways are there that we can develop our own private banking institutions? We have a couple good ones now, lightning and fediments, but that's just the beginning. Vastly incomplete. How many ways are there to provide your own energy or mitigate your need for energy dependence on the grid? There's ways we haven't even figured out yet. How many ways are there to build community? There's as many ways as there are people. How many, put it this way, how many worlds do you think there are? We only get one world, not that kind of world. You live in your own world. The people you're closest to, that you love the most, your worlds overlap a lot, but they still live in their own world. If you can't see the sunrise for another individual, you don't live in their world. The sunrise in their world is different than it is in your world. You stand side by side. You describe it to each other. You even sound like you're describing it the same. It's not the same. Orange. What orange? What does orange look like to you? How orange? How bright? How dim? Red orange? Crimson orange? What kind of orange? What emotion does orange on the sky evoke in you? It's not exactly the same. We have, if there's 9 billion people, there's 9 billion worlds. And in each one of those worlds, there's a billion solutions. And it's up to us to figure out how those solutions plug together. That's an insurrectionist mindset. As long as... As long as, here's an interesting thing. <laughs> Jason here says, he's born in Jacksonville, Florida. DeSantis spent most of his childhood in Dundon, Florida. Graduated from Yale University and Harvard Law School. You know what I think about that? I don't care. I've heard that a lot, as though an Ivy League education is a negative. Uh, there, see? 
Screw DeSantis. He's a skull and crossbones graduate plant. You're emotional. You're worried about things you don't control. And I don't know why you listened today. I can't. Bushes, right? This is, this is nonsense. We're here talking about building an independent life through insurrectionist thinking. And you're worried about where some political clown went to college. This is what I'm talking about. Thank you for proving it for me, for making my point, Jason. I appreciate that. Cause there's, this is my, this is honest to God after he said that. This is my last bullet here. Take control or be controlled. There is no option C. See? You're not taking control. You're being controlled. 80% of Republicans think you, just keep going, dude. Just keep going, Jason. Keep making my point for me. What does it matter what 80% of Republicans think? It doesn't. Life exists around you. It exists around you as spheres. Within the closest sphere, you have control. Either full or limited control of everything within that sphere. You go out to the next sphere and you have influence. I'm talking to you so you're in that sphere of influence for me, but you are not in my sphere of control. I do not control you. You go out one more layer, so rest of everything. You have no influence and you have no control. Most people spend the majority of their time in their mind in the third sphere. And so when they die, there are no trees that continue. Their life is finite and their impact is finite. Their kids cry, spend their money, and they go back to living life. And in three to four days, they've moved on. Not that they don't miss them, but their impact is gone. People that change the world, even if it's not directly noticeable how, in their minds and therefore in their body and in their action, they spend the vast majority of their time in that inner sphere. You do that or you don't. That's the real meaning. Remember Yoda? There is no try, do or do not. If you take it on its face, it's a stupid statement. There's plenty of try. In fact, it's trying and trying and trying and trying and trying and multiple failures within trying that lead to success. Almost nobody succeeds in doing a thing the first time they do it. I remember the first time my son tried to shoot a basket and the ball was two feet below the rim. You think I should have said, hey, Matthew, there's, there's do and do not. There's no try. And see, it's stupid if you think about it that way. It was a lesson larger in life. There is do in your life or do in the life of others. There's no try in that. It's immediately measurable. There's immediate feedback. You know when you take an action or have a thought. If it actually matters to your benefit or it doesn't. Yeah. It's time for an insurrection. It's an insurrection where you make a simple determination. I no longer wish to be governed. 
by anything but life and nature. I don't care what somebody thinks I should be restricted from doing. I care only that I don't harm others and that any interaction I have with any other individual is voluntary. They're terrified of that. They're horrified of that. If I get my channel shut down again because of what I've said today, that's the only reason why it will happen. Because it's a terrifying message. You own yourself. Self-ownership. That's the true act of insurrection. Remember what I led off with. Change through the ballot box is a fool's errand. And change through the rifle is a death sentence. And it's not just the rifle I'm talking about. The use of force will always fail if you're using force against an enemy who is superior at the use of force. And the systems of the state and its control mechanism are incredibly sophisticated, incredibly powerful. There's one thing they can't handle. One thing they can't handle. Self-ownership, non-compliance, coupled with redirection of force instead of opposition of force. That's why you have, I know, again, I know some people don't like to hear about it, but it's why you have Bitcoin today. It's a perfect metaphor. I want, if you hate Bitcoin, if you hate, I want you to just, I want you to think about it. I want you to steal man the other side, right? Like I said today, I want you to make the case for it. From a standpoint of, here was this thing, competing with the biggest hegemony system of the state in the world, monetary creation. It was created in a way that no one had to use it, no one had to fabricate it, make it, participate in it in any way. And it is a global payment settlement network that's unstoppable. With zero force. Only market incentive and making a case for itself. If I were the state right now, I would be terrified. I'd be absolutely terrified because the reason they're doing all this great reset shit, and I need to wrap up today, but the reason they're doing all this, the reason why it's time for you to eat the bugs, because they destroyed the agricultural system. They destroyed the soil. They destroyed everything. They destroyed the economic value of the nations. The only move they have is reset. Let me finish with that today. Do you remember when you, those of you my age, the first video games, like the Atari 2600 games, did you ever play a game and you're playing it? And you can keep playing for a while, but you screwed it up. And you know eventually, if it's Pac-Man, the ghost is going to eat you, or if it's Dig Dug, the thing's going to fall on your head or whatever. Like, you know you screwed it up. So what do you do? Remember that little lever that was on the Atari? What did it say? What did it say? What did the little lever on the Atari 2600 game set say? Reset. Start the game over. That only works if you've decided 
you're the programmer. You have the console, you have the cartridge, and everybody has to use your joystick. How do you win that game? Professor Falcon. We're now all professor. I, I think we should. Maybe we need a shirt. I am Professor Falcon. Or we are Professor Falcon. We are all, prof- I don't know, something like that. The only way to win, put this joystick down. Stop playing the game. The matrix is real. You're a battery or you unplug yourself. Choice is yours. All right, guys, with that, I've wrapped things up. Hope you enjoyed today's show. Uh, I'm going to just sign off today without any uh, request to support the show or anything because of the way this went. I appreciate you being with me today. I will have an episode tomorrow on Bitcoin, Bitcoin breakout episode tomorrow. And I'm bringing somebody on from a company that does flare gas mining where they take wasted energy and they use it to generate electricity to mine Bitcoin. I think that'll be fascinating and an example of how we really have only just begun to scratch the surface on where we're going in that part of the world. Take care, guys. Have a great day. They gonna bail you out or just run you around. They said you should have a house the American way. A dollar down, a dollar.